2: Good morning. Good morning, everybody.
0: I'm Nancy. Welcome Austin.
2: to. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to. Yes. And I'm Shannon. So glad to be here with you, Nancy. Glad to be here with you too, Shannon. Your hair's looking particularly fabulous. Well, thank you very much. I haven't seen you in over a year. Uh, <laughs> so, it's great to see you on, on camera at least. Thrilled to be here with you. We got a great show for everybody. We're going to cover a bunch of news stories, and then later, um, excuse me, we're going to be joined uh, by with uh, Vince Redmond's going to be with us. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we're so excited that you guys are here with us. Good morning, Christina. It brings up the point that we're live right now, and you might be watching us live on our homepage, autism-live.com, or you could be watching us on YouTube or Twitter or on Facebook, or one of about 10 different sites that we're live right now. But I will tell you the quickest way for us, if you're watching us live, the quickest way to get your comment read or for us to see that you're watching is to give us a shout out from YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, um, because those, uh, we, we get to see your comments immediately right here. If you are watching Recorded, and we do record the show, it is a podcast, it's a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are the number one rated podcast in the autism arena worldwide, thanks to all of you. Um, Get your free download wherever you get your podcasts, and then if you want to comment and you're watching us Recorded, uh, the best way to do that is to go to the chat that is on our homepage, autism-live.com. Now, I will tell you that it is not an interactive chat. It goes one way. So you send us a message and then we're able to get it and talk about it on the show. We aren't able to respond back to you directly on the chat. So that's a thing I like on my Christmas list. But, you know, it has not Santa has not delivered yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe someday. But um, we're excited to be here. And I think the most gratifying part of this show for me and tell me, Nancy, for you is when you guys talk to us.
0: Yes, absolutely. Wonderful to have feedback from our viewers.
2: Yes. And Parker is sharing. Look at Parker being so useful. uh, Shared the website for you if you're watching on Facebook, uh, autism-live.com. Thank you, Parker. That's so considerate of you. Uh, And Christina says, I finally got a speech evaluation for my little from an SLP, a speech and language pathologist, it was difficult to hear the results uh, and he will have an AAC evaluation later this month. And um, I know that that's a hard one, Nancy. I right. think that, um, <clears throat> you know, um, I lived in fear that they were going to say to me that uh, my son needed to go to an AAC device. I now understand that if they had that, that, that more kids talk now than ever before because we give them right. an AAC device early. Right. And, um, so don't give up. No, I know, people, I know people that have had like, you know, been told your child has apraxia and it's unlikely that they're ever going to speak and their kids are talking now.
0: Absolutely. Uh, it takes I, know, I know many cases like that. Many of the kids Wyatt went to school with in preschool were nonverbal as two and three year olds and then started talking when they hit four or five.
2: And, and, and I also know the flip too. I know people that are not able to vocally communicate, but um, I, I'm thinking of one person in particular who is such a light in our lives that um, has maybe a three-word repertoire that he can uh, say, um, but he communicates um, in a lot of different ways, including on a device, and that he texts his parents now Uh, that one of the most amazing days in my life, Nancy, was when I was at your son's 18th birthday party and the dad of this other gentleman, because he's an adult now, the dad showed me the texts that he sends him. And it just, I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that he had that much to say, but he does in text. So um, it's, you know, and that's, that's not anybody's favorite choice for your child to end up having to communicate in that way, but it's ever so much better than not having the ability to communicate at all. Absolutely. Um, Yep. And, but, and I know Christina is writing in that one of the hardest things when you get an evaluation, I remember the first time that my son had an evaluation and they were sitting in a room full of people and reading off what his scores were. Nancy. Now I would know enough to say, this is not appropriate. You need to give this to me in writing, you know, two days before, so I can have a moment to cry over it. But I remember there was something that they, there was, I think on, on the language scale, my son was at a three month old Uh and he, and he was two and a half. And I was like, I are not, you know, like, Oh my gosh. Um, And Mm -hmm. just remember, you know, like things can be worked on. It's not, well, I love the saying from the the Marigold hotel movie that, uh, it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay now, then it's definitely not the end.
0: Right. I love that too. I love
2: it. Okay. So, uh, Miss Nancy, we got a bunch of news this week.
0: Yeah. The- uh, the- I just couldn't
2: stop with the stories.
0: The first story that we're going to cover is from Scary Mommy. Do you know that blog site? Shannon, very well.
2: Uh, you know, I, I had heard of it and been on it, and then I hadn't been on it in forever. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and so then I was excited uh, to go back. I'm looking to see if we have the same one. Is it the prom one?
0: No, this is the activities for teens.
2: Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Ultimate I particularly... Activities was- for
0: teens with autism that develop important skills.
2: And I thought this was particularly great because we're at the beginning of summer. And the other day I went through a whole bunch of things about what to do for summer. Um, but we were talking about younger kids. It gets harder when they're teens because you start to get pushback in lots of different ways. But I love this article. What did you think, Nancy?
0: I thought it was a great article. They have um, suggestions. There you go is the website, scarymommy.com. Um they have suggestions for teens on activities that help with areas of development. Um, yeah. And some of them are, are kind of, you know, maybe you wouldn't think. Uh, the first one is board games, um, which is great because it helps improve conversation and problem solving skills. And, um, you know, board games, obviously you need more than one person, uh, but they're great, great vehicles for
2: communication. Yeah, Card did a lot of board games with Jem. With did you guys do a lot of board games with Wyatt?
0: Yeah, and we still do board games with Wyatt.
2: I you know I'm you know, because I do the Festival of Toys, I'm all about games and learning as, right. you know, through fun. And um uh, and one of our categories every year for each age group is board games because I, I still think um You know, there's so much that can be done with a board game, including I think they teach pre-employment skills. Uh Like when I I, sometimes when I see people who give really poor customer service and I'm like, really, did you did you never play Monopoly? Did you not know? Like, 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 does that. um, So I'm all about the board games. I think that that's a wonderful suggestion. What else did you like on the list, Nancy?
0: Um, I just wanted to also add that I found out my kid was great at Scrabble that I would not have known had I known oh,
2: isn't that great?
0: Yeah. He has a vocabulary that I never knew he had. Well, um, we should
2: play Scrabble sometime on Zoom.
0: Okay, that would be great. Let's do yeah. that. Um, some video games, they qualify it with some. They get a bad rap, they said, because there's a lot of gratuitous violence and sexuality. But don't let that ban you, ban them from your home, because there are some, you know, there are some good uh, video games out there. Yeah.
2: yeah, I, my son, there was, a, I, of course, I'm not going to think what the name of it is now, but I, like, there was a certain point, uh, well, I know Scribble Knots was one of the first video games that I went, okay, this thing is genius, that When's you have this character. I didn't know this. It's called Scribblenauts, Okay. and it's like N-A-U-G-H-T-S. And it's this thing where um, your character goes along through the, and he, and he comes across a problem and it asks you, what would you like to do? Now, this is for kids that are older and that can read, but are having trouble spelling. And this is not what the game was invented for, but this is what it's great for. My kid was a terrible speller. But so in the game, you get someplace and you have to figure out, you have to solve a problem Like you have to give him something like a paper airplane to throw up at something to be able to get in the door or whatever. And you have to spell it and you have to spell it correctly or the game doesn't recognize it. And so I couldn't even believe the things that my son learned how to spell. I'm a terrible speller. Um, But he would constantly be like, how do you spell this? How do you spell that? And I would go, what are you doing? Because we'd be in the car and he'd be be like, I'm playing scribble knots And I got to know how to spell sarcophagus (laughs) Right. <laughs> and I was like sarcophagus um oh Parker's I, there's the spelling N-A-U-T-S great great game for spelling but then later on there was a game that he played that was not on a mobile device it was on like a system and he learned all about history so oh. he was he was coming and he was telling me well Nero said this and I said where, where are you you know are they covering this at school he's like no I learned this in the video game oh. um because you could play as Shakespeare or you could play as another character. So he was learning about all these people in history and like really getting to know them and, and know quotes and what they stood for because this video game. So all video games um, are not uh, perfect and they're not all perfect for me. Uh, uh, Ruinscape, it worked for, for me, Parker. Um, I don't know that one. Oh, Parker's saying that the game that I'm talking about is Civilization. Ah. That's right. Loved that game. Uh, it
0: really worked. So thanks for that suggestion, Peter. Yeah. So don't rule out video games. Number three on the list was music. Um, that also can be therapeutic and be useful in developing speech and language.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. So we, I want to encourage people, go to scarymommy.com and look at this thing of activities for teenagers because um, sometimes you're just too tired to think about what to do next. But they, yeah, I don't know, a- but
0: if other people have this problem, Wyatt has a hard time thinking of things to do by himself. And we want to give him some downtime because between uh, summer school, camp, and therapy, and miracle project classes, he is scheduled out the wazoo. So I built yeah. in Thursdays for him to have downtime, and he's often at a loss of what to do. So these, some of these things, are things they can do by themselves.
2: And and one of the things that they, you know, ABA providers do, and that CARD does, is that they, and they can do this at any age. They create uh, play centers, right? But you make it age appropriate, where. Even with little kids, with a three-year-old, they set up, like, five activities for them, and they say, okay, and they have the visual schedule, and they go, okay, first we're going to play with Play-Doh, and they do this to get them ready for kindergarten, and they play with the Play-Doh, and then they ding the little bell, and they go, time to move to the next center, and they go to the, and they, are like, you know, now, now time to play in the play kitchen, Right. Now it's time to go to this, and and they go through the five things, and they reward them for shifting from thing to thing to thing.
1: And then the next
2: phase, they give them the visual schedule and say, which order do you want to do them in? And then after that, they say, you know, here's 10 tokens. Which five things do you want to do? Because they're teaching them to choose which thing to do. So for a teenager, you can do that, too, where you make a visual schedule and say, here are the five options. You have an hour. Which, Which one do you want to do first? You have to do three of them. Right. Um, and do this and do the same thing. Cause it's like, if they don't know how to use their downtime, they don't know how to de-stress, mm-hmm. which That's is hard. Right.
0: That's right. Um, yeah. so let's move on Shannon, because otherwise we're never going to get to dance.
2: I know we got so many stories today. I loved this next story, uh, from the HuffPost. Uh, a beautiful story that, that was particularly poignant to me because, um, a woman with two sons, And her son on the spectrum, uh, he was going to prom and getting ready to graduate from high school. And she said he doesn't have friends and he doesn't have a core group of people at school. And as much as his school has worked hard to make him feel home, um, that sometimes our kids just don't assimilate the way we would like them to. And he wanted to go to prom and there was no one to go with it, go with him. And so um, her older son volunteered and went to the prom with him. Uh, and there's a beautiful picture of them in their their suits. I love hearing about this brother, Nancy, because he reminds me of siblings like you, that at one point, the you know, the mom even suggested to him when it was time for him to go to college to write his college essay about his brother. And he said, I don't ever want to be in a position of saying anything like it's a challenge to be his brother because he's a cool guy. Right. Like, I that- love that. Right. And I know, you know, you're an adult sibling of a special needs uh, brother. And I always say you guys make the best people on the face of the planet.
0: Well, I think it definitely makes you more empathetic, have more compassion. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of volunteering with David had set down syndrome, my younger brother. Um, and I did a lot of volunteering at his summer camps and swim programs and various things, and made friendships with other uh, intellectually disabled Down syndrome kids that I spent time with. And I think it really um, was a benefit to me. I'm happy that I had that experience.
2: Well, and I, you know, it was a benefit to the entire world because that informed who you became, and you became someone who's changed the landscape of special needs, Nancy. So, well, thank you, you know, so. It, it shaped you into who you are, and, I, and for those of you who have siblings and you're worried about your siblings, please make sure that you reinforce your siblings and 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 tell them how amazing they are. But but also know that they grow up to be really incredible people. Um, but I love that you know, mom wrote this beautiful article. It's in the Huff Post. I, I want to encourage everybody to read it because you know, and, and at that point he hadn't graduated yet, and she was talking about you know soon we're going to be the crying parents in the stand. Uh, I was just that parent um, uh, a week ago today, and um, it's a very poignant time. But I, but I think it's a very uplifting the conversation that she does. It also has, you know, some awareness about the fact that we're not really getting it done at schools for our kids, um, and we got to do more. But her son stepped up. Her son yeah. stepped up, and and they had a great time at prom. I loved hearing great. about it. So
0: everybody, please read that. Um, the next article is. A disturbing one that about New Jersey's autism rate it's still climbing and in one district one and I think this is the Toms River district uh, one in 14 third graders uh, is diagnosis on the spectrum
2: one in 14 you guys
0: that is a huge number huh
2: and well and this is in a couple of districts in in New Jersey and in the article they talk about the fact that they think it's indicative of what it's about to be in all of the districts in New Jersey. Now everybody's going to argue about why this is. Everybody's got their thing about why well you know New Jersey has a lot of services, maybe people are moving there. New Jersey has, um, you know, a lot of factories, maybe it's environmental, everybody's going to have an argument and you know, that there are going to be people who are going to say that that's a misdiagnosis. They don't all have autism. And I just want to know what magic number does it need to be before people listen? I suspect the number is when it's your child, Uh um, You know, I mean, like I, my college uh, roommate, her child was diagnosed with autism 20 years before I had a child. And I would hear her say things and I, I, my hair didn't catch on fire. I didn't run out into the streets. I didn't call my politicians um, until it was my child. And, you know, when we're at one in 14, uh, I, I guess it won't be long. And it will be everybody's child. I said on the show the other day, I think if we could just get every politician that there is before they can run for office, they have to spend two days living in the home of a family that has a child with autism. I think we would accomplish more than we could doing anything else, because I think until you've lived it, until you've seen it, until you've been a part of it, you just don't get it. You just don't get
0: it. Yeah. But with these numbers being what they are, certainly in New Jersey, we're going to have a lot more affected Families that when seven and to say that seven percent of eight year olds in the one school district and five percent of eight year olds statewide have autism is shocking, uh, to say the least. So, um, we'll see how these numbers continue to pan out. Yeah,
2: we're still waiting right now. The CDC is about to any day put out the new prevalence numbers. I just want to again warn everybody when those numbers come out, it, it's you're, you're going to be told that the prevalence of autism is changing and less kids have autism, and that is because they changed the way they took the data. It's not comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. So we'll do a bunch of shows about it when it happens, but just know, don't be fooled, they changed the way they took the data. And they changed it for a reason. So, Do you know
0: how they changed the way they took the data, Shannon?
2: I don't. We, in fact, we're going to have Lisa Ackerman on at some point. I need to reconnect with her. Poor Lisa. I've left her hanging on the hook. But we're going to have her and one of her experts on to talk about what it is that they've done. But, you know, they always did it in this really ridiculous way that obfuscated the whole thing anyway, that, you know, they would they would look at. I don't even remember what age it was, whether it was eight year olds, but then they wouldn't tell us for four years, how many eight year olds. So we would always get information that was four years old. I'm not saying that they didn't need to change it, but they're going to try to tell you that the numbers are better um, than what they were before. But you're going to remember that they have a new scale. So there's nothing to base it on. Nothing. It
0: seems like the numbers would be greater because our, and this, uh has to do with our next story because Asperger's is now um, defined under ASD. It seems like to me it would be an expanded number.
2: Well, that's what it's been in the past and they excused it saying that, but um, I'm being told that the numbers are going to look different. So we'll okay. see. Although that we were supposed to hear it a month ago, so maybe they are, aren't are as good and maybe that's why they're holding on to them. I don't know. I'm very mistrustful. <laughs> Can you right. tell? Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I put it in an article. Did you also have the one about Alex, Alex, Alexithemia as well, Nancy? Alexis media. Alexithemia. Did I not send that one to you? Okay. Let's cover the Elon Musk one and then I'll come back to the Alexithemia because I must not have sent it to you. Okay. Um, but this, you know, this has been a topic. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that Elon Musk came out on Saturday Night Live and said that he, uh, is the first person, uh, I believe he said that he was the first person on the autism spectrum, but then later on he said something, he used the word Asperger's. Right. Um, And it's created a little bit of a firestorm for people. And even our dear friend, Anita Lesko, um, we should have her on to talk about it because I know she feels very emotional about the term um, Asperger's and a lot of people do. They're like, why did that, that term get done away with? And, um, because technically no one can be diagnosed with Asperger's right now. It's not a, a, an official diagnosis in the DSM-5 anymore. It's now an umbrella called ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, and you get a level rating, and it's two numbers um, that you're given. And um, But often people only use one number, which makes a lot of the people who diagnose crazy. What they're saying, is it Asperger's or is it level one ASD? And even that is wrong because it wouldn't be a level. It would be a level one, one ASD if you want to be technical. Um, So, you know, what is it and what does it mean? And so this was an interesting article in WebMD, but I think there's an emotional thing here as well and and that's what I heard from Anita Lesko in this last week is that she is someone who identifies herself as having Asperger's Right. and she feels like they're trying to do away with like the, the diagnosis that defines her. Right. Um, and, and of course I want to say to everybody, like you are allowed to use whatever words you want to define yourself. Like don't be defined just by the DSM-5. If you feel that Asperger's defines you. It's just not a medical term anymore, but you can call yourself Asperger's. You can own that for yourself. But I, I, I feel we felt as they were changing the diagnosis that people with Asperger's felt like they were going to be cut out of services. I think we saw exactly the opposite. Do you agree, Nancy? I do. They
0: they got more services because they were diagnosed as autistic mm-hmm. for
2: having autism. Yeah. I think the hard part is, is that it's such a spectrum when you can have, when you can have somebody like Elon Musk, who is literally making rockets to go to Mars. And then you have people who do not have the ability to um, communicate their most basic needs that they need to go to the bathroom. And they are on the same continuum. I think it's confusing to everyone. Uh, I think it's very hard uh, because it, means that we all have to be flexible. We all have to understand that these individuals are exactly that, individuals. And that they have in, like, there are things that Elon Musk needs that I don't. And and there are things that a person who um, does not have the vocal or or, um, verbal behavior or the device to be able to say, I have to go to the bathroom, there are things that they need, we're all people. And how we feel about ourselves and how we language ourselves should be honored, I believe. Um, But then we have medical terms to describe certain things as well. And I I think it's it's emotional.
0: We got a comment from Peter Odell. I was diagnosed with Asperger's at 10. I don't feel bad about the, the, I think, the DS5 change. uh, And I still get services, he says. Yeah.
2: And I wonder, like, I think it's a little bit of a generational thing for people who w- went their whole lives and are and, and were adults when the change happened. And now they they all identify themselves as, as having Asperger's. And then some well-meaning person will go, oh, that designation doesn't exist anymore. Like, I think we should stop saying that. I think it's like, because it, I can see where if I was a person who went my whole life identifying as being Asperger's, And if I said that to somebody and they said, well, you know, that's not a thing anymore. I think I, I think I would have a hard time with that. Um, so, you know, I I think we can all be a little bit more cognizant and, and say, um, you know, we don't need to tell people that that isn't a diagnosis anymore. Um, it's still a thing and it's, you know, now it would be, well, in some cases it would be a one, one. Let's talk for just a second about the fact that, um, you know, one of the reasons why I like the DSM-5 and the, the classification readings is that I know some folks who are diagnosed with Asperger's and who have classic Asperger's, but they need a tremendous amount of support for their anxiety. Like, I mean, a tremendous amount of, of support for their anxiety. They are not a level one one. They might be a level one three, um, and and that I think they actually get more unique help for them. Uh, because everybody always assumes, oh, well, Asperger's means that you're so capable. That is not always the case. Some individuals have more needs than others within uh, within the criteria. Um, so uh, I think that's why the DSM-5 and the levels are important. But I think it's also important to allow people to identify themselves. Listen, we're doing this across the board with, with gender and, and all kinds of things. I mean, I'm, I I literally the other day had to say to somebody, I need a chart because somebody identified themselves to me as, um, as being a non-binary lesbian. And I was like, I want to like, what exactly does that mean? And then somebody else would, you know, use another term. And I was like, I'm old. Just give me a chart. I want to be respectful. I know. I just like, tell, tell me what you want and and how you want to be referred to. And I'm happy to do that.
0: It's very just confusing. The, thing, I think it is the very times confusing. they are a- changing.
2: Yes. And I want everybody to be comfortable and I don't ever want to say something that makes somebody uncomfortable. I just want to know. And I think everybody's entitled to like, you know, if we can do this in gender and we have 32, uh, you know, so-and-so identifies themselves as pansexual and, you know, and this person is cisgender and it's all this, why can't we do that with autism? Like you tell us what, how you want to identify and just give me the chart and I'm a happy camper. Uh, somebody says DSM is incomplete and people still like to assume our kids and our adults are just misbehaved tantruming brats. Yes. Well, those people we need to reeducate, but I know that, uh, I know I could not walk in my son's shoes even one day. And thank you. I think our kids are amazing and warriors. Um, and that people, people who are intolerant, tolerant of our kids, um, I just find I have less and less time for them. Is that bad, Nancy? Am I a bad person? That I just yeah, like, I just, sure. I, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to. Like when I find somebody who's that level of intolerant, right. I find that right. I just want to say, go get yourself educated. And I don't even want to spend the time talking to them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gotten less tolerant of ignorant people. So there we have it. One last thing, because I think we have Vince that's here. There's a um, a new study out about something called alexithymia. Alexithymia is when you are not able to um, recognize emotions on somebody's face. And this new study has shown that they think that a large number, a large percentage of people on the autism spectrum have Alexithymia, but that we've been lumping Alexithymia together with autism It may be a symptom of autism that you might have alexithemia, um, but then alexithemia is treated differently than autism. And one of the things in particular is I didn't even know this was a thing, but apparently old research said that people with autism weren't able to apply things that they knew before to new things and that that was why they weren't making eye contact and and understanding uh, facial emotions. But they're finding that that is not the case. Like, duh, I thought we all knew that that wasn't the case. Um, In any case, uh, uh, University of Oxford and United Kingdom has been doing this study. Um, And this study came out, uh, I'm trying to see where, it was uh, published in Cognition in April. So if you want to know more about this, uh, definitely look into this. But they're saying that some of the previous research on autism and eye contact might have to be gone back over because they didn't control group for alexithemia. And I think that...
0: Shannon, Shannon, does it say how widespread the prevalence of alexithemia is? Mm -hmm.
2: It, uh, I believe that the numbers that they had in the article are that about 50% of people on the autism spectrum um, have it. And I think it was about, was it seven or 9%, excuse me, 5% of non-autistic people have alexithymia, but 50% of people on the spectrum have alexithymia. So, um, and you treat alexithymia different than the traditional way that they're treating eye contact and not recognizing facial features um, in autism. I will tell you that ABA tends to deal with it more the way you treat alexithemia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that a little interesting. But if you want to know more about that, uh, we got that in Spectrum News, but the actual study was published in Cognition. So fascinating, fascinating. I find all of this stuff truly fascinating. But Vince is here, and we got to bring him in. Vince Redman is a licensed marriage and family therapist who started out his career in autism as a behavior technician. He is actually featured in the film Recovered. And I encourage everybody uh, to have an opportunity to look at that film. I know they sell it on Amazon. It's a DVD and it shows four kiddos uh, at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. You get to see them when they were just starting out therapy. And then you get to see them as teenagers. They're all adults now. Super fun. Um, uh, We keep saying we need to do uh, an updated version of it. But uh, Vince is one of the therapists that you see when he was just a young pup. Uh, Working with one of the kiddos. Then you get to see him when that kiddo is a teenager. And of course, now we get to see Vince on a regular basis because he's a regular here. And now he's become, he's been a licensed marriage and family therapist for a long time now. So he helps us out to understand our feelings about some of the things that happen and how we make the whole family unit work. So um, Vince is also the director of family services at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and does an amazing job. And I'm lucky that I get to work with him on a regular basis. So Vince, are you here?
3: I am. Hello, ladies. Good morning. Good morning.
0: Good morning. So, Vince, so are topic you could be with us today? What's that? So happy you could be with us today.
3: Thank you. I'm all, it's always fun to be here. I yes. appreciate you having the opportunity.
2: Okay. So, uh, I, and by the way, I said Recovered is available on Amazon, but I mean the service. Like, you got to order the DVD, it is not streaming on Prime. Um, Vince was just saying yesterday.
3: yesterday.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Vince just said yesterday that has to happen, Shannon. So I got to get on that. But, um, and everybody's saying hi to you, Vince. Um, I had said that the topic, and we sort of talked about this with another group earlier this week. I'm hearing a lot of people who are having a lot of anxiety and kids having uh, trouble as the world opens back up, depending on like the, it it feels like to me the rules change on a daily basis. Um, Nancy, I said, I was at Disneyland the other day. I've been locked in my house for over a year, but I went to Disneyland after my son graduated. And I was there the last day that they had masks and social distancing. And the very Uh next day, people kept sending us pictures. There was only, I think it was 45% capacity at Disneyland. And yet 12 hours later, they were at 100% capacity, no required masks, no, no social distancing. And I know people who were going on Monday and on Tuesday. They must have felt like they were in a time warp. And right. and and if we're like that as adults, what's it doing to our kiddos on the right. spectrum, knowing what rule when? So Vince, walk us through some of the things that we can do to help our kids and to help us.
3: I think the and you're right. I mean, I went to Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, and it was still well. I, quote, I use air quotes, it's at 35% capacity. I'm pretty confident it was not at 35% capacity. There was way more people there than I think 35% is. But that's a, that's a side note. But you're right. There's so much change right now. I mean, as of Tuesday, right? We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go, what we can do in businesses, what we can't, what the employees can, what they can't. You got Cal OSHA saying one thing. You got the governor saying something else. You got the CDC saying one thing. And then on top of that it's summer right. right we just have that natural transition of the kids yeah. are out of school and they're that's now I, summertime. Think, I guess
0: that's why i've been feeling this underlying stress that i can't figure out what to attribute it to
3: right yeah. so we have everything with the pandemic which has just kind of predominated our lives for a year and a half but then we forget that we're also experiencing natural transitions that we've been you know, you know, working with and in, experiencing, you know, for most of our lives. We have the summer now. So we have the weather change. We have kids going out of school. Oftentimes we have our work schedules adapt a little bit because of the kids' schedules. And then we have vacations. And now we can take vacations, sort of. Um, Right. We didn't last year, but we kind of can now. So there's a lot of these just natural occurring changes that are coming up. So we couple that with the ever changing COVID landscape. There's a lot of anxiety that we're feeling. And I think the first thing we want to do is check our own anxiety, see where ourselves are, because, again, we set the foundation for what the environment's going to be like at home. Right. So if we're really anxious at home and we're really scattered and we're really scared, our kids are going to also feel that anxiety. All kids. Right. Kids on the spectrum. Kids on the spectrum. They're going to feel that anxiety that something's not right, which is going to heighten their anxiety. And in our cases, it's going to heighten a lot of our uh, rigid routines, rigid behaviors from our kids, rigid expectations from our kids because their anxieties are going to be high. So right now. It's just, it, 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 I think Nancy, you kind of, you kind of hit on it. It's just knowing what's going on around us. I think will help, right? Yeah. It's the first step in just forgetting, because we really didn't have those traditional transitions last year. They happened, of course. Summer obviously came, but with everything else going on, we really didn't do anything because we really couldn't. Uh, right. but this I, should
0: know, I should know by now that I have increased anxiety every summer transition uh, because Wyatt's schedule changes so much from when he gets out of school to when he has. I try to keep him extremely busy and the camps are changing every week, The whether he's in school or he's in camp, the classes are changing every week. So I, it's like I have to be an air traffic controller
3: right and and, and a lot of these are good changes right it's good change we have camps again we have opportunities for our kids to go do stuff we can go out again but it doesn't change the fact that it's still change and it's still something that our bodies our minds have to wrap ourselves around so that we can process it we can understand it and and like you're saying we can navigate it right who's going to go where what times what what can we do what can't we do and then again being flexible which you know is t- even difficult for us let alone our kids it's extremely difficult to be flexible right i know the three of us and i can imagine everybody else that's online watching now have gotten frustrated over the last week just with changing you know expectations changing what we can and can't do what's expected of us and what's not so once we can understand that we can we can we can set an environment of you know, just tolerance and things are going to be okay and positivity and we get through this. Now we can start looking at, okay, how do we set the schedules for our kids? How can we set the predictions for our kids? One thing that I always say going into summer, and I know I've said it with you ladies several times, when we go into summer, I think there's this false kind of sense of belief that, oh, we don't need to be scheduled anymore. We can just kind of free flow. Well, that doesn't work really well for our kids, as you both know. We need to stay scheduled. The schedule changes, of course. Of course, there's an increased amount of leisure time and and fun and activity time, less academic time. But there still needs to be a schedule. The kids still need to be able to predict what their day is going to be like. What are they going to do next? And if we give them that schedule, we give them time to see ahead what's going to happen because they, they don't do this naturally their anxiety will go down because they're going I to see.
0: I think that's, let me just interject and say, for sure. me, um, that's really important. And what we have is a calendar on a dry erase board that Wyatt can see. And okay. I didn't realize how much he depended upon it until yesterday. Uh, he was accepted into a camp that had a waiting list. So um, where there had been summer school, he's now going to be going to camp. But he said, Mom, next week I go to camp, and the week after I go to summer school again. And I said, No, you don't. You go to camp again. But I had not changed the dry erase board. So he's obviously very dependent upon that schedule and being able to see what his schedule is going to be.
3: Right, right. That, and again, it kind of puts us in check, right? It's like, Oh, we got to keep up with the schedule. That, that's why it's putting us kind of back in place saying, Oh, sorry. My bad. Change it, which is good because we see that it's a functional tool. It's a functional intervention. It's a functional uh, strategy for him to make him um, feel comfortable with his day and also, you know, to make sure that he's looking forward. Right. this is a good way of helping our kids look forward to what's going to happen next in the day. And I always
2: want to remind people that it's it's not just our kiddos that deal well with these. You know, when, when I used to be a stand up comedian, I had to keep a planner. Because I had to know when I, when somebody booked me for a date, I had to know which date and I kept a planner for a lot of years. Then when I became a mom, I didn't have a planner anymore and things, and I was like, I just don't know how to get things done. And somebody said, what happened to your planner? Take your planner back out. And, and certainly when Jen was diagnosed with autism, I had a planner and three clipboards because I had to keep three different schedules and know where you needed to be. Like you said, Nancy, like you're, you're an army general. Um, You know, deploying people different places. But now, if I don't have access to my Outlook calendar, I don't know what my day is. I can't can't function. And and I need that visual schedule. So to make a visual schedule for our kiddos is very functional and very real world. I just like to remind everybody that, that it's not like we're teaching them some foreign thing. And I love that he's dependent upon that calendar, Nancy, because like, you know, everybody's got something on their phone or whatever that tells them when their appointments are. So that to me feels like, you know, like that's awesome. And very much, the the, you know, I I hate using the word normal because I think normal is the setting on the the dryer, but I think it's a very common thing for people that we find that it makes us more productive to have things visually somewhere on a phone, on a computer, on a,
0: Thing. Yeah, obviously, so, um, when you don't know what's going on, you have anxiety. When you don't know what to expect, you have anxiety. Yes.
2: So ding, ding, have, ding, yeah, ding.
0: A big thing yes. to take away anxiety is to know what to expect. Now, Christina Mills says her son uses a calendar at school, but she wants to have one at home, and she wanted to know where to find a good place to find a visual schedule.
2: Do you know a I place? I love Pinterest. To- I love Pinterest for this. If you put in visual schedule in Pinterest you will get more things than you know what to do with. And you can look and go, well, that one's too young for him. That one's too old for him. Because what Wyatt needs for the visual schedule, Wyatt reads, you know? So his visual schedule is just things written on a calendar. But for little kids that don't read, you need pictures. Um, and they have them, you can get them on your phone. There are apps that have visual schedules. Um You know, your, your, your daily planner, whether you're on Outlook or that's a visual schedule, but Pinterest is my favorite for all of those things. They have ones that you can purchase and customize that are magnetic and that go on your wall or go on your refrigerator. Um, Some amazing people have made some amazing things so that you don't have to.
3: Vince, do you have other suggestions? No, and I think, and don't be afraid to make your own ideas, right? Whatever works for you and your child. I mean, you know your child better than anyone. So if there's certain things that they like or certain things that interest them, try to incorporate that as much as possible, right? Um, I think Pinterest is a great idea. They have a thousand different ideas. But again, don't be afraid to to be creative with your child and what's going to work best for them.
0: Yeah, you can even do a key. Like I have, camp is a different color magic marker mm-hmm. than school is a different color than ABA therapy in the afternoon. I love
3: that. I love that. Right. It's all creative. Right. Right. <laughs> right. We can be creative. We can put different artwork on it. I mean, again, it's, it's what's going to be functional for them. What's going to attract them to it? What's going to motivate them to use it at first, right? Later, like where Wyatt is it's turned into a functional strategy it's turned into a functional way of of feeling good and predicting his day and knowing what's next he's he's really learned how to use it which is great but in the beginning it's what's going to attract them to it so we can teach them how to use it and that's where we get really creative about you know, if they're into superheroes, there's lots of superhero things on it. If they're into Star Wars or Star Wars, if they're into colors and in art, you know, we bedazzle as, as you know, the best we can, you know, make it look as great as we can so that they enjoy it. They look at it. They're attracted to it. And that will help them learn.
2: I, I love they said they love it when we let you talk then. <laughs> uh, and I, I take that. I take that very personally. That Heaven knows I've over talked everyone. Um, but they also say that this uh, that right now, this period of time is making my son adjust to more people. And it's awful. We were so OK with distancing. He has so much stress and anxiety and playgrounds are overfull since opening. And if a park has too many people, we leave and go to another place. I think that many people and it's very interesting. It's not just the kiddos. I've heard parents saying, you know, I went to Trader Joe's and I couldn't handle it. And I had to turn around and go home. There were too many people. I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. Or I went here and there was nobody with masks and I couldn't, you know, um, I couldn't cope. Um, so I I appreciate many families have written in and said, well, this has been really hard. The covid has been really hard in a lot of ways that some of the kids just did better because they prefer socially distancing. How do we right. get those kiddos back into life and dealing with the anxiety of that? How do we get ourselves doing that,
3: Then it, It's kind of like the opposite of what we did at the beginning, right? So in the beginning of the pandemic, those of you know us and kids that were outgoing and needed attention and needed a lot of socialization, right, that was very demanding, very difficult for them to have that taken away. But like you said, there's a, another subset of kids and, and family members where this has actually benefited them because they they don't desire to be around crowds. They don't desire to be around others. They would rather isolate and just kind of do their own thing. So it's going to be the opposite now coming out, right? So we're going to need to start desensitizing those kids who have been used to being, you know, being by themselves or being, you know, uh, with a very limited amount of interactions. Now, the one thing I want to warn all parents and any parent that's listening is... We have to make sure that our kids aren't isolating you, that they're not keeping you in because of their fear, right? Or because of their desire, because let's remember, a lot of times this isn't a fear. This is just a desire. The kids like, you know, a lot to be by themselves. They like to do their own thing. They don't see a need or a desire to have socialization, but we do. We need it. We need to get out. And part of that is slowly reintroducing, socialization back with the kids. Again, going to a very busy park, going to a very busy store, no, that's going to fail for everybody. Everyone's going to be upset. But maybe we set up a play date with a neighbor, and we just go out in someone's front yard, or we go to, you know, maybe a community neighbor pool that doesn't have a lot of people there, right? Just getting outside, getting out of the house, and starting to see new environments again with varies a little amount of people is going to be very refreshing for everyone right so just going on walks again going to you know a store that might not be you know not at the the, the peak of its busyness to slowly starting to get back out again and then contri- or contriving and setting up situations where they can start interacting again with kids Let's not forget play dates, right? I know those have been gone for a year and a half, but we have to go back to setting up controlled environments where we can have our kids start learning how to interact again.
0: Wyatt has his first play date. He's a little bit old for play dates now at 19, but he has his first play date in many, many months set up with his friend Brady this afternoon, and they're gonna swim. Um, and we'll do it outside. So he's very yeah. excited about that. But yeah, they're coming back. Playdates and get-togethers are coming back, aren't they?
3: Right. And remember, I think we kind of, kind of Shannon's example of Disneyland, right? There's just kind of this flood of that we feel that we have to go into these environments with a lot of people. And we don't. Let's start slow. Let's start with just one-to-one. Let's start with just... Going, you know, starting with our play dates again and start increasing those going outside, playing on the lawn, going back to, you know, uh, uh, you know, doing things in in their backyard or your backyard. Right. And just starting really small. Then we work out to a, a park and then we work out to maybe an event that will involve a couple kids. Then maybe we go into the community. Right. Start small, work big. Right. Rather than just jumping straight into a big.
2: And I want to point out too, that it, sometimes it's the opposite. Like you were saying, don't let your child's anxiety and wanting to isolate, make you isolate. And I, I have to cop to that in my household, it has always been and continues to be the exact opposite that it's my anxiety that I isolate my child. And, you know, I mean, there was a time when I was diagnosed agoraphobic and couldn't leave the house while Jen was going through therapy and I went through cognitive behavioral therapy. And I, and the only reason why I did it was because I saw it was starting to affect him, that I wasn't going places and that the few times that I would, I would have a panic attack and I would say, I need to go home. I need to go home. And then I watched my child do that. Uh. We were out and he said, I don't feel right. I, I want to go home. It was like word for word, what I would say. And, and I was like, Ooh. Oh, I can't do this to him. And so I got cognitive behavioral therapy for myself. And I've said in the, since the beginning of the pandemic, everybody, you know, was, we were all like checking in with each other and saying, how are you? Are you okay? Did you get set up at home? Can you work is your family okay? We were all checking in and I was always saying to everybody, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going to be fine no matter how long we're here. It's when we have to come back out that you're going to have to get a crowbar and a therapist. Um, Honestly, and and truthfully, you know, my son has been the guiding force again. That he was like, you know, it's time for us to do this, and his graduation sort of pushed me to that direction because I wasn't going to miss that. But otherwise, if he wasn't graduating, I would still be at home. Mm-hmm. So and and I want to.
0: Out- I think like what you're saying, Shannon, is some of us have natural inclinations to isolate more than others, and we have to be on the lookout for that because it can become a pattern.
2: Absolutely. And I want to point out that Parker said, even as an adult on the spectrum, I tried going to Menards and couldn't handle the mask policy. And here's how specific it is that, you know, everybody's anxiety is so different. Like, I don't know, Parker, is it that you, the wearing the mask was hard for you or the fact that other people weren't wearing the mask? Because my husband, has a hard time with being someplace for a long time, wearing the mask. We didn't go out Mm -hmm. enough to get used to it. So that's been really hard for him. For me, it's harder when there are people who aren't masked, I'm totally freaked out. I'm like, let's just all put our masks on and leave it that way, which is not gonna work either. Um, So I'm curious, Parker, which, which is it for you? Are you having a hard time feeling claustrophobic with the mask on or having a hard time breathing? Or are you having a hard time with other people Um, not having masks on because I'm, I've heard both stories. Um, It's a hard time, Vince. It's a really hard
3: time. For me, it's, I think we, we spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are doing and what other people thinking. And we're kind of looking for a rule that's telling us what to do. We're at a stage now where we have to do what's right by what we believe and what, what we want to do. Right nobody can now tell you you have to or you don't it's up to you now if you want if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask in public by all means absolutely wear it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated doesn't matter if you're not if you if that gives you a sense of comfort and you feel more safe it does actually give you more layers of protection absolutely do it if you feel safe without it and vaccinated. And you feel you have you have your 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 protection, your internal protection, right? Then that's okay. You can now go out pretty much most places now without it. I want us to start looking at what makes us feel more comfortable and not worry about what makes someone else comfortable. Because if you feel safe, that's what's most important to you and that's how you should, that's how you should proceed.
2: I love that. In fact, I want to read you guys something that a friend sent me the other day. It's a smidge political and I I forgive me for that. But it says, while the outside world rushes to move on, the experience of the pandemic has yet to fully leave my body. Uh, Parts of my body, my mind, my spirit are still trapped in the limbo of pandemic despair, pandemic depression, pandemic numbness, pandemic survival. I will not be pressured to move at the breakneck speed of capitalism that wants me to forget everything. I will remind myself as often as I can to move at the pace of my own healing and be attuned to my own slow and tender needs. And I think... You know, on a very basic level, a little political, but on a very basic level, it's just exactly what you were saying, Vince, about how we have right. to honor ourselves and move at the speed that works for us. Right. Parker says, for me, it's the uncertainty. No masks at some places, masks at others. It's the other people
3: thing right. that you were just and talking he, about. Me. For Parker, do what makes you feel comfortable. Wear your mask. If you feel comfortable wearing your mask, don't worry that other people aren't you're you're doing what you feel now i think now we're in a, it, it it's kind of funny right we're we, this is what we've all not we've all but society on a whole has been complaining about is let us make our own choice don't have a mandate or mandates that make that choice for us. We're now entering that stage and that's creating anxiety, right? It's creating anxiety that we actually now do have the choice. There is no more ma- mandate than I mean, there's a little bit, but there's not an overall mandate anymore on what we can and cannot do. It's really up to you guys, which I think is great because we now are in charge of ourselves again and we can do what we feel is appropriate for us, what makes us feel safe, what makes you know again and that goes with social distancing like it also goes with the amount of you know group interactions we have right all together now we're starting to come out of this and as we come out right take it at the pace that you want to do and I think that was what was in in you know what you read from your friend take it at your pace nobody can push you any faster than you want to go but the now the decisions are ours which I think is is great
0: yeah. Right.
2: Really Great amazing. advice. And Renee says, when I run errands, I can't focus. So I have to write a to-do list every time or else I forget. Isn't it interesting how we see that when our brain is focused on other things, it's harder to focus on the things we used to focus on. I think that's a really important point too.
3: Uh, to be gentle with ourselves. All the time. We use visuals all the time. Yep.
2: Yep. Uh, all right. We're out of time here. Of guys, time. So we want to thank you and uh, let tell people what you do at CARD and how, how you can be reached.
3: Yeah, at CARD, i kind of a catch-all, really. Um, but work with families, help families with, you know, different situations, different grievances they might have. If there's concerns or maybe there's, you know, just a lot of, especially like a lot of what we've talked about today, a lot of confusion with what we can do and how they can move forward for the you know, betterment of their family and betterment of their kids. I'm here to always listen and try to help as best we can. Um, they can reach me at my email address, which is V dot Redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N-D, at centerforautism.com, um, as it just popped up on the screen. So if there's any other questions or anything that follows our meetings today or some of our other support meetings that we do, any parent can email me at any time.
2: is awesome? Vince is amazing, and I want to thank you for being here, Vince. We'll see you next oh, my month. My pleasure. And uh, I want to thank Nancy for being here too. I want to remind everybody that on Monday, (laughs) Alex Lynn will be with us. He is a self-advocate. He is the creator of Autism Rocks, um, and he's going to be talking about what Autism Rocks intends to do as we come out of the pandemic because they weren't able to do a concert last year, so he'll be with us to talk about that. On Tuesday, it's Temple Grandin Tuesday. We'll be showing a best of Temple Grandin. On Wednesday, we have Dr. Doreen Grandpache with us. On Thursday, Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, is with us. And on Friday, we're going to be covering research topics in um, autism. And um, they want to know, does Vince ever do webinars? And he does. Um, A lot of what he does is internal at card, but I know he's available to speak at other things and we could ask him to do a town hall. We do town halls every once in a while, which we open up to the entire public. So if that's what topic would you want him to talk about? And I'll talk to him about it. Um, But uh, in the meantime, I again, want to say thank you to Nancy. I hope that everybody has uh, a wonderful Juneteenth. We have a new holiday. Um, I'm, I'm going to learn how to make Juneteenth gluten-free cookies, uh, today. So I hope that everybody has an opportunity to, um, celebrate that and Father's Day this weekend. We're saluting all of the dads and then we'll be back on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and
0: yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.
1: Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home